Okay, so we all kind of get that animals might be better than us, right? Not rats or roaches or cats or other evil animals, but the rest of them. 99% of animals would leave the world a better place than we would. Like, if you had a bunch of dogs in one valley and a bunch of people in another valley and you came back in 300 years, which valley is going to be doing better? Yeah, there'll be fertilizer all over the place, but the dogs are going to win this one, hands down. Still too often, it's not them over there and us over here. We're all in the same space. And that's when things get dicey. So today on Snap Judgment, from WNYC Studios, we proudly present The Bear, the Goose, and the Whale. Amazing stories from real people trying to bridge the most impossible of barriers. My name is Glenn Washington. Now, if we can't get along with those people next door, how are we going to conversate with an elephant when you're listening? Snap judgments. Snap judgments. Now, for our first story, we sent producer Davey Kim up north to Vancouver Island to tell us a story about a baby boy named Luna who was born at sea. Snap judgment. Okay, I think we're good to go. Cook Donna Schneider was one of the first humans to meet baby Luna on a boat called the Uchak 3 off the west coast of Vancouver Island. The captain called down to the galley and said, there's something in the water, you might want to come up and have a look. So I made my way up to the wheelhouse and we uh, got a good look at it and saw that it was uh, a baby orca, kind of just frolicking in the water. And we kind of just thought it was a one-off, we probably wouldn't see that whale again. But it seemed every trip we went out, we would find this whale. This one just seemed so lonely. It seemed like a little lost puppy. Baby Luna's lonely existence was a miracle. Two-year-old orcas are still very immature. They need the protection of their pod. They are playful, silly, and irresponsible. But the winter before, five members from Luna's family pod had mysteriously disappeared. As to why he was alone, only Luna knew. He, he circled us quite a few times, and then he just kind of sort of sat there and looked at us. And, and then when we left, he, he sort of spy-hopped and looked like, where are you guys going without me? After that, anybody that would come down to the dock, he'd, he'd be right over there. All you had to do was slap the water and he'd come on over. The local fishers and coastal loggers of the quiet fjord of Nootka Sound were dumbfounded to see baby Luna alone. But here he was, staying put and saying hello, which was a treat for the small local community. And at first, it was also a treat for the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, too. My name is Ed Thorburn. Ed Thorburn is the man in charge of protecting local fish docks, patrolling Nuka Sound for illegal activity. One time, I was out pulling illegal prawn traps. And I was by myself. And Luna got to the bow of the boat and started turning me around in circles. So I said, you go away for a while and come back, and then I'll take you for a run. So he took off, went about, uh, oh, 30, 40 meters away from where I was working. And when I finished, I said, okay, I'm ready. I shouted to him, and he came to me, and we went for a 45-minute run, and he'd have his head between two propellers. And he would stay there, hardly using any effort. He was in the vortex of the boat, 
he really enjoyed that. So did I, actually. On any given summer day, Luna would help out coastal logging farms by pushing 40-foot logs around the coast of Nuka Sound. There were very, very few people that didn't like having him around in the inlet. On some of the larger boats, the small commercial fishing boats, uh, Luna would go into the, the rudder and swing the rudder back and forth and back and forth, and he actually broke a couple of rudders. But, you know, I must say the commercial fleet, they were really, really positive. They took it all in stride. This was all groovy for the first year. Ed hoped that Luna's pod would come and find him. See, Luna belongs to a whale group known as Southern Resident Killer Whales. Their summer range takes them up and down the U.S. and Canadian coasts, and killer whales don't migrate like most whales. They seem to just travel where food is. So, since Luna's family pod occasionally traveled to the west side of the island looking for food, they might swing by and Luna could reunite with them. But when an orca pod came through to Nuka Sound, Luna was not interested. Instead, he ducked underneath a patch of logs. And he hid underneath there until they left, which was a good hour and a half. And I just stayed around just to make sure nothing untoward was going to happen. Now, Ed and his colleagues at the DFO began to worry. Orca researchers from California to the Vancouver Islands were uncertain too. Most agreed at this point, it would take a lot of luck for Luna and his family to find each other. Meanwhile, Luna was growing bigger. He could knock small boats over entirely, cause damage to seaplanes, and a fishing port is no place for a whale. He could seriously get hurt by bigger boats. But Luna seemed to thrive in Nuka Sound spotlight. Throngs of people lined the dock to watch him swim and dive, take pictures and toss cookies into his mouth. People went out in boats to pet him, race him. This went on for months and months. And Luna only got more popular, more enormous, and more dangerous. So the DFO changed their message from let's hang tight to tough love. No interactions whatsoever. Folks at the department did not want to risk Luna becoming too attached to the area and jeopardize any chances of pod reunification. So the department asked me to, to do everything I could when I was out there to keep people away. So Ed hired two whale sitters, Aaron and Michelle. I was 21 at the time. Well, I just thought, wow, there's, there's a whale and they want to pay me to go up there and essentially babysit them. And let's just say experience was not required. Aaron and Michelle would drive a little motorboat around Nuka Sound, trying desperately to keep visitors away from the whale. We're totally unqualified, and we're these two good-looking, blonde, young girls, and they're going to give us a megaphone and cut us loose. Like, what? Who okayed that? Well, I was. Facts are facts. (laughs) The first day that we got up there and, and we hit the water with Ed Thorburn and my boatmate, I knew that it was going to be tough. Where did you, please don't touch it. Okay. Out of here, high speed. Try and keep your speed up. High speed out of here. Increase your speed. Hey guys, it's an offense under the Fisheries Act to touch this whale. Yeah, but you stopped. You actually came right So touching him is 100,000 bucks a pop right now. What? And we're out here to, uh, to make that happen. Luna, you're not helping. <laughs> why don't, why doesn't someone? Don't push, Luna. <laughs> Unreal. Um, 
It seemed to me that when I was the one dealing with the people, he would go around the other side of the boat, you know, so I couldn't, I couldn't watch him. Whereas if it was Aaron who was dealing with the situation, he would come in between and he would spit water at her. <laughs> but either way, we both look like idiots. Why don't you try to get your boat and lead him out of here instead of taking his picture? You're just going to wreck that. That's worth a bundle of money. That was the hardest part of my job. I had to keep to myself the fact that I was—I wanted to have Luna less lonely, and that is to be able to interact with people. But I couldn't publicly say that because what they would do then is to say, "Oh well, he's a softy," and I was in a turmoil. There were other times when we would play with him. No, Luna. <laughs> I get it. I, I know why you're out here. I get it. Have a look, get your photo, and then could you please leave because you're making my job really hard. We would split him up from the boat that he was with, and then we would ditch him. Well, well one time I decided not to look at him. I said, okay, the department wins. I won't look at you. I'll sit with my back to you. So he came up and put his nose between my shoulder blades, gave me a little nudge and knocked me into the boat. After that, I said, no, that's it. We make eye contact anytime you want. I was breaking my own rules and the rules set down by the department, but now that I'm retired, I can speak about it. Ed tried everything to get Luna back into the wild. He would take Luna on runs deep into the ocean, then ditch him. But the next day, Luna was back. The following year, a different pod came along, but Luna stayed put. Finally, after another year, the DFO decided if Luna's pod wasn't going to pick him up, they were going to forcibly drop him off. The department decided that they would capture Luna in a net pen. Once Luna was lured into a net pen, they would strap him to a large crane, hoist him into a truck, then... Transport him back to his pod in Victoria, Seattle area. The whole ordeal was going to cost a little more than a half a million dollars. But not everyone was on board with the DFO's new plan one group of locals was particularly suspicious. Right off the bat, I, didn't, I don't have much trust in people with a lighter complexion. <laughs> They've never given me any reason to trust them. They did not warn anybody. They did not speak with the First Nations. Nobody knew what was going on. There had been rumors that the next step, which they didn't say, was... I was angry. Oh, the rumor was that they were going to take Luna out and uh, sell her to the U.S., that they were going to put her in an aquarium. Or they wanted for breeding purposes, you know. Again, there are rumors. I can't tell you how they were confirmed. Well, the department said that there were two different aquariums that offered to take Luna. I don't care how big the pool is, he is going to be still a prisoner. Eugene Amos, Jamie James, and Eddie Jack are from the Moachat Muchalot First Nations tribe. Their ancestors used to live on the coast of Nuka Sound, where Luna was, but in the 18th century, they were forced inland. Now they live on a reservation in Gold River, about an hour away from the coast. When the tribe heard of the DFO's plan, they were completely against it. Leave it, live and let live kind of an attitude. Who am I to decide what's good for the whale? I'm not a whale. That was for sure. <laughs> but there was something more important at stake. 
Luna wasn't just any whale that the Moachat Muchalot felt should be free for freedom's sake. He was something more. Luna was said to be Chief Ambrose McQuinn reincarnated. He was the head chief of our community, one of the biggest chiefs along the West Coast. We're good friends, Ambrose and I. When Ambrose McQuinnow was sick, he saw killer whales going down the passage. My dad, before he passed, he was saying he wanted to come back as a killer whale. Gary McQuinnow is Chief Ambrose's son. Reincarnation, I, you know, I was kind of pretty skeptical about it until he showed up. Everybody knew. That's probably him. (laughs) You know, like that was probably him. Here's Jamie James. He was the Moachat Muchalot fisheries manager. Luna was reaffirmation to a lot of First Nations that our culture is still alive. We have been forced on reserves. A lot of them lost cultural values, their language. We used to live down by the water, but now we live up in the mountains. A lot of the stuff that we hear is in terms of spirituality, through stories, through teachings, through elders, hundreds of years ago, that we don't see today, you know, and then to have Luna show up was a reaffirmation that, yes, our culture is still alive. That was one of the reasons we didn't want him to be taken away. It symbolized our people here. They believed it was Ambrose's spirit in that well. We were determined to go the limit. Whatever the limit was, we were going to do that to keep him free. Are they going to capture Luna? Is Luna the reincarnated Chief Ambrose? Find out when Stamp Judgment, the bear, the goose, and the whale continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to Snap Judgment, the bear, the goose, and the whale. When last we left, Ed Thorburn from the Department of Fisheries and Oceans was preparing to catch Luna the whale for Luna's own safety. But some of the First Nation people, they weren't having any of it. Snap judgment. We were determined to go the limit. Whatever the limit was, we were going to do that to keep him free. So the DFO set a date for the capture. A group from the tribe made plans to head to Nuka Sound to stop that capture. And Ed began to get Luna ready. I said, I can bring him in. I know I can. He trusted me. I had to train Luna to follow me wherever I wanted him to go. So I spent the two weeks, three weeks prior to that really intensively having Luna follow me. That was the hardest part, was to do that, knowing that he was going to be put into a net pen and captured. But Ed was committed to carrying out his orders, capture Luna to try and reunite him with his pod. On the day of the capture, tensions were high in each camp. No one really knew what to expect. We left at about 5 o'clock in the morning, myself and my partner in a 733 Zodiac, headed down the canal. We rounded the corner and... We were here in the morning, two canoes full of warriors. The First Nations were singing. I saw Ed and I saw the RCMP 
all wearing bulletproof vests, wearing sidearms, and we were just wearing our cutoffs or, you know, whatever. We're gonna sing louder, boys, so he can hear us. From his DFO motorized Zodiac, Ed thought he should have the upper hand. It was a bit of a surprise to see them there at all. Luna was playing with them. They were trying to keep Luna away from me. We were all paddling as hard as we could. We were all sweating. Ed Zodiac caught up with the canoes. He asked the First Nations to cease and desist. But the First Nations refused, and Ed slowly backed away, hoping Luna would follow, just like in the practice days before. And at first, Luna did. Okay, we started up the inlet. After a few minutes, Luna decided, oh, I gotta go back and check on my friends in the canoes, so back he goes. And I thought, this is gonna take some time. Ed is hollering at us through a megaphone and saying, stay 100 meters away. And everybody started hollering back, we're about 99, you know, and just giving him a hard time. <laughs> oh, I was, I was getting a bit frustrated because I wanted to get this thing over with because I wasn't feeling really good about it anyway. Yeah, she kept going back and forth. We didn't have much success. She knows this area. She knew it. Did you ever think, like, my dad is that? Like, yeah, Russia? yeah. When we were paddling, he popped up in front of me, like, two or three times, and I just kissed him twice. And I'm, you know, like, oh, hey, right on. And then my, uh, my niece was in front of me. He did the same thing to her, and she kissed him, kissed the whale. It was pretty cool. So I just kept increasing the speed, got it up to about 15 knots. Luna didn't go to the First Nations, it came to my Zodiac. And Luna was having more fun with that than he was having with the First Nations. They lured Luna away with some kind of food or... But Luna went with them, eh? Them will do anything. I said to myself, this has got to work. I knew this was the last chance if I get him into the net pen, then everything else is going to be successful. Ed increased the speed to 30 knots and gunned it towards the net pens. And Luna had no problem keeping up. Yeah, they were gone. I radioed in saying, I'll be there in 10 minutes, so be ready. As I approached the net pen, Luna followed me all the way into the very inside. Oh, I was angry. Like, all this for nothing. It was a sad, really a sad moment when he was captured. Luna should come back to us, but we knew Luna wasn't. Ed got Luna. He was in the DFO net pen. All they had to do was pull up the net. We were going to go out and paddle and say goodbye to the whale. That afternoon, it was blowing hard, whitecaps all over the place, and I'm paddling for all I'm worth. As the minutes passed and the canoes approached, Ed started to get nervous. And I'm looking around, where's, where are the people to pull the trout net up? Twelve minutes in the net pen, nothing did happen. Nobody showed up. People from the DFO were supposed to pull the net up to capture Luna, but no one was there. I was pretty, pretty upset by that because now here is a whale that trusted me 
and now I've abused that trust. It was just like, what was going on? Like, uh, you guys had him. So we just stopped paddling. We started banging on the bottom of the canoe with the top of our paddle. Everybody broke out in song, and Luna got word of it, turned and very slowly just swam out of the net pen over to the canoes. Ah, they're not going to catch him. They're not going to catch him. I don't know what happened. It was just like, yes, yes, he's like free again. At that time, I knew it was, it was over. I think we had had our chance and we missed it. It was a, a Hollywood ending. The tears started flowing. I said, I think we won. <laughs> and then we returned to the beach. Everybody broke out singing and eating and having an impromptu celebration. Didn't hear too much from the other camp. <laughs> Water, junk food, and bologna sandwiches. <laughs> the DFO abandoned their plans to capture Luna. There were no winners. There were three losers, First Nations, Fisheries and Oceans, and Luna. And I lost as well. The DFO told Jamie James and the tribe it was up to them to keep Luna safe, away from boats and people. So the Mochop Mochalot developed the Sukeet Guardianship Program, where Jamie was a buffer between the whale and any outside interaction. And Luna hardly got into any trouble for two years. Uh, see, now where was I? I think I was home. I was, I was home at the time. Yeah, I just came back home from work. and Somebody had simply walked into my office and asked me if I heard Somebody phoned me and told me that Luna had been struck by a tugboat. He swam into the prop. He just said, Luna's gone. You could have knocked me over with, with a pin. I was devastated. As we got into the area where the accident happened, I happened to witness, a, um, you know, the death, some of the death. I saw pieces of Luna floating. It was a stormy day, hardly any boats in the water, except this very large 104-foot tugboat with three to four foot long propellers on each side. So you got six feet of a blade going around 1,000 RPMs. Luna had played with this tugboat many times before, and I interviewed the captain myself of the tugboat he said, the hardest thing for me to do now is to tell my six-year-old daughter that I killed Luna. She had been out that summer and, and had seen him. The dirty honky killed that whale. It's easy to fix it up, to make it appear like an accident, because how does a whale as intelligent as Luna swim into a propeller? We never, ever had enough evidence about what actually happened. I had a smoke, decided to think about it, and then the memories came on. Damn it, I'm never going to do that again. The First Nations gathered Luna's remains and brought him to one of his favorite places in Nuka Sound, 
Everyone who had known Luna since the beginning was there. Ed was there too. We were all on board the Uchuk and we went to the area where Luna grew up. And there was a spreading of flowers. And people just said their hellos and their goodbyes kind of thing. Then the late Chief Ambrose's eldest son, Chief Mike McQuinna, gave a speech. He said, We had achieved what we had set out to do. We had set out to keep her free, to keep Luna free. She died in her home ground, sir. It's been just over a decade since Luna, or Chief Ambrose's spirit, has moved on. Yet almost everyone is still a bit unsure on what lesson should be learned from Luna's short stay in Nuka Sound. For some, Luna raised questions. But for others, he promised answers, whatever the answers were. But for now, his memories live on. He snuck up on us as we didn't know he was there until he made that parting sound. And I was like, hey, I said, you're making me look like I'm farting. New moon, there was glow and algae in the water. And it was amazing was when he was swimming along with us, he disturbs the algae and all you could see was this outline. He started to play this game of hide and seek with me. And I would lean over the back. I must have nodded off. And Luna slaps the water, splashes water on me. <laughs> and I just yelled, Luna, you dirty. <laughs> Thank you. Big thanks to Donna Schneider, Ed Thorburn, Michelle Keeler, Jamie James, Eddie Jack, Eugene Amos and Gary McWinna for telling Luna's incredible story. And a special shout out as well to Michael Parfit and Suzanne Chisholm for their assistance with this piece. If you want to learn more about Luna's life, check out their documentary, Saving Luna. We're going to have links on our website, snapjudgment.org. That story was scored by Davy Kim. It was written by Davy Kim and it was produced by Davy Triple Threat Kim. Snappers, you may not have heard the news, but you may Snap Judgment Presents Spooked, the number one podcast in the nation. If you haven't heard it, you better hear it. Snap Judgment Presents Spooked. Get it at spookedpodcast.org. Get all the episodes. They're scary, baby. Be afraid. We promised you a bear and a goose. So a bear and a goose you shall have. On the next Snap Judgment, the bear, the goose, and the whale part two. It's coming, baby. It's coming. Do not miss it.